Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you today on this Mother's Day. This thing, I didn't check to see if it was too tall for me here. All right, now we're good. All right. Well, it is so good to see you today and to be with you. And now we get to open up the Word of God. And uh, let me say before we do that, we're going to be in Titus 2. But it was on our wedding day 19 years ago that uh, Angela and I exchanged rings. And they were gifts to each other that remind us daily of the vows that we made. And over the years, I've given her other gifts, but they pale in comparison to how God has blessed me through her life. She is truly a gift from God to me, and it strikes me every Mother's Day that we give gifts, and you know, we try, don't we? We try to give gifts, and a lot of times we're like, what what does mom want, you know, and what should I get her, and what should I get uh, someone maybe who has a lot of things that they already want, you know, and and it it strikes me every Mother's Day that we give gifts to moms, and often they're flowers. We're going to be giving gifts, flowers to moms today, and they're beautiful uh, creations of God uh, that they are, that we're going to be giving them small tokens of, of God's beautiful creation, a flower. But a flower is a, a fast-fading sentiment. It's, a, it's something that fades quickly, and uh, it reminds me of something, that we pause one day a year to honor those for whom Children's Day comes 365 days a year. <laughs> and that those whom we honor often do not stop their labor of love to enjoy the day. Now, I want to call your attention today to some gifts. I want to call your attention today to some gifts that God gives His church, His chosen bride, and includes the very special women among us. How we are called to love and honor and cherish those in our lives to the glory of God. So please open your Bibles to Titus 2 and stand with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, Titus chapter 2. Paul is writing to a young pastor who is probably in his early 40s at the time. And he is giving him instructions on on how to conduct himself and how to teach in the church. And this is what he says in chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken and you have spoken 
truth we need. And Lord, we thank you that you will use your word in our lives today. That we don't want to leave this place today unchanged. Lord, that we want to be under you, that we want to hear what you have to say. And we pray, Lord, that you would change us. Make us more the people you want us to be so that we might do the things that you want us to do. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we often think of when it comes to Titus chapter 2 is mentoring. Older teaching younger, what it means to follow Jesus. And that is appropriate. That is what Paul did for Titus as he was writing to this young pastor who was on the island of Crete, facing the challenges of false teachers and legalistic believers in the church and opponents from outside the church. Paul was a gift from God to Titus as a mentor. Now, God has given blessings to his church, and we're going to look at those today. And his blessings to his church are himself, his word, and godly people. Himself, his word, and godly people. First of all, let's look at the idea of God giving himself to the church. He has given himself to the church in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. In fact, Titus, and I'm going to point out three different places in Titus, but Titus has as one of its themes the idea of God blessing the world with the gospel. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul begins, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, God's chosen ones, and their knowledge of the truth. So the reason he is a servant of God, the reason he is an apostle of Christ is for the sake of the faith of those whom God has chosen and their knowledge of God's truth, which they need for daily living. He says that truth is with accord to godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies. Now, why would you need to say that God never lies? We all know that God never lies. Well, it's because Cretans were always liars. They were evil beasts and lazy gluttons. That's what it says in chapter 1 and verse 12. It even says that one of their own prophets said this, and Paul said that it is true. It's true about them, so reprove them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. He's talking about those who believe, (laughs) but there was something ingrained with the Cretans. That's why people call others sometimes Cretans. That's where they get that. Okay? Um, but the idea is that God never lies and he promised before the ages began and manifested at the proper time in his word through the preaching in which he had been instructed this truth about Jesus. Now you see this idea of, of being, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a term that's a, a little bit of a big term, but regeneration means being born again. The idea that God's elect uh, that come to faith are born again. In chapter 2 of Titus, in verses 11 through 14, it says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, in chapter 3, in verse 4, it says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, and He's writing to believers here, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. 
We're not saved by our works, just as Ephesians says as well. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of, here's this word, regeneration. It's the idea of being born again. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It means we're all born as babies, and then we grow. But then Jesus says, but what, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The idea is that as we're born of the Spirit of God, as we come to faith in Christ, we are regenerated by God. God does a work of regeneration in us. It is a gift from God to us. It is given to undeserving and ill-deserving people. All by God's grace. That's, that's what Titus 3 is pointing to, that uh, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is what our hope in Christ is based on, and Titus brings it out three different times here. So the idea here is that God gives himself to the church. He brings his church into relationship with himself in Christ. That's the first gift that God gives. The second gift that he gives to his church is his word. His word. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1 in our passage for today. Paul says to Titus, but as for you. Now he's contrasting him with those he had just spoken of. And if, um, if, if there's... There's, I don't think no, if there's anywhere in Scripture that, is, that can be more strongly stated than Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, in, in, with regard that shows the need for a solid grasp of God's Word. Look at Titus 1 and verse 10. Paul says, There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. How would you like to have that said about you? (laughs) For all time, the word of God stands forever. This testimony is true, Paul says. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth, And then he says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. People who say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but by their works completely deny him. And he says that they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Then he says to Titus, but as for you, as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords, sound means healthy. So teach what accords with healthy teaching that would lead to healthy lives. The truth produces health in our lives. Believers need to know the truth that sets them free. And Jesus says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. There's no need to look elsewhere. God's word is sufficient, either by way of specific teaching directly addressing issues such as how a husband ought to treat his wife it's covered in the Bible how kids are to obey their parents but the actual specifics of that in everyday living in every situation isn't specifically talked about but by way of application and implication we can figure it out with God's wisdom 
and apply it to issues that the Bible does not directly speak to. But the Bible has given us everything for life and godliness, and God has given his bride his word, which is forever. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but God's word stands forever. So God has given himself and his word to his church, and then he has blessed his church with godly people. We're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at these verses, verses 2 through 8, and these examples of godly people, older men and older women and younger women and younger men. He's going to look, we're going to look at godly people change lives, which results in gospel change relationships. Gospel change lives result in gospel change relationship. If your life has been changed by the gospel, your relationships with people will be transformed. Titus chapter 2, now verses 1 through 10, and we, we looked at verses 1 through 8, they contain God's instructions for daily living, and it's followed by the theological reason for that living, which we read a minute ago in verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 3 follows the same pattern. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, gives some instructions for godly living, and then verses 4 through 8 show the biblical basis for it. God gives to his church are people he is conforming to Christ's likeness. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's, by way of reminder, I like how Eugene Peterson puts it, um, pastoring, shepherding uh, is, is often, and preaching is often a ministry of reminding. You are uh, reminding people of things they already know, or things they may have forgotten, or things that might have been neglected. But here, In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 through 30, it says this. We know. Now, we know this with assurance. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the work he is doing in believers. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Even uh, our future state is spoken as good as done. That God will glorify us. And he has uh, glorified us already because he is true and he will do his work. Now, Paul gives in these uh, next seven verses... Uh, examples of the kind of teaching that Titus was to engage in that leads to change lives and relationships. So first, the older men, verses 1 and 2. Now, you might be wondering today, am I one of those older men? You know, I feel old today, therefore am I, you know? Uh, well, in Bible times, when, when this was spoken, this would have uh, related to, to men around 60 and over. So let me just see it. No, <laughs> We won't be giving a show of hands here because, you know, we're going to be talking about the older women and you're never supposed to ask women their age. Okay, so uh, men around 60 and over is, is kind of the older men category, but you could also put it in the category of relatively older than the younger. Okay, so let's just say you're 47 like myself and you're, you're working with someone who's 27. Well, I would be considered an older man to that person, but for, the, for, for Titus, Titus would be, a, would be putting me in the younger man category okay so i just need you to know that so those of you say oh so you're an old man you know i've had people um very close to me blood relatives say you're old and um i just want you to know that i'm in the young man category here (laughs) 
I love it. Uh, Paul Gromwald, every time he sees me, he says, uh, how you doing, young man? I love that. And I love you for that. Anyway, uh, older men in those days over 60, here's, they must show by their lives their, that their beliefs stand, that their beliefs are, are, uh, are real in their life. Okay, so it's going to be shown by their life. So spiritually, they're to be sober, first of all. Sober. That means uh, calm, exercising self-control, uh, good, re- good judgment, self-restraint. They're to be sober. They're to be dignified. That's appropriately mature. Reverent for God. Kind to others. They're to be sound-minded. Uh, it's a quality of mind that shows itself in knowing the appropriate time and place for everything. There's a time to have fun. There's a time to be serious. There's time for proper restraint. They're to be healthy and in, in, in sound in the faith, in love, and in patience. The, the, uh, the, definite, the, the, the article, uh, and, is, is uh, here, and it literally reads in the Greek, healthy in the faith, in the love, in the patience. The idea here is that there are three areas of life where this is needed. Health is needed in the, in the realm of faith, where they are holding to the truth. Health is needed in, in the area of love, where they are to fulfill the new commandment that Jesus gave, which is to love one another, even as he has loved us. That all men will know that we are his disciples by our love one for another in the family of God. And there is need for health in the area of patience. To be patient and to wait for God who is the judge and who will judge all things. Now, older men are to do these things. They're to be these things. But all Christians are are called to exhibit these qualities. But how much more older men who will be seen by others as leaders, as examples? Older men. Now in verse 3, older women. And again, we're not going to do this by a show of hands. It would not be appropriate. Um, But the idea of older women would be those who were no longer uh, having child-rearing responsibilities. And you grandparents that are raising kids are like, yeah, right. Um, I, I'm, I'm still doing that. I, I realize our culture has, has, uh, has extended adolescence and extended child-rearing responsibilities. Praise God. Praise God for people who love kids and want to raise them. And many, many grandparents are raising their grandkids. Uh, but, but older women, and let me say this. In New Testament times, Romans were suspicious of Christians. For, for many reasons, but among them, they thought that they would undermine traditional family values. Now, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. In our, in our society, people are often suspicious of Christians because they think that they are too rigid about family values. It was the other way around in the, in the New Testament times. They thought they would subvert the traditional domineering over women and children and, and the tyranny over women and children. Because wherever the gospel goes, the, 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 plight, uh, the, the, the condition of women and children are raised when the gospel is preached and lived appropriately. You can say amen to that, ladies. It's true. It is true. So in that day, Romans were suspicious of Christians thinking they were going to undermine the stranglehold they had on women and children. That culture was very harsh to women. But anywhere the gospel goes, women and children are more valued and honored. So keep that in mind as we go through this. 
So older women, how are they to be? They are, first of all, to be reverent in their demeanor. Reverent in their demeanor. It reflects, reflects a dignified attitude of heart that treats all of life as sacred. It literally means go about your daily life as someone who is uh, in, in, involved in sacred duty to God. That older women are to see all of life as sacred and, and hold themselves with, with that attitude that will now reflect in their life. They are not to be slanderous. That means don't be a false accuser. Now this word is used 30 times, over 30 times in the New Testament for Satan. Uh, the slanderer, the accuser who accuses us before God. So the idea here is the danger of unguarded speech. Now everyone is to not be slanderers, okay? But here he is pointing out older women and even the idea of not being enslaved to much wine. Those were two problems in Crete, even more so than in Ephesus. Now, not slanderous. The, the danger of unguarded speech uh, that is not restrained by self-control uh, because it's painful uh, to be the recipient of those things and to be falsely accused or misjudged and we all know how that feels don't we but remember we are not god we do not see into people's hearts and so we must not uh, slander others by saying things about them that we simply cannot know if it is true or not now women older women are not to be enslaved to much wine that literally means fully captured and going down that road the idea that um that uh, wine was... Uh, now, here's the thing. Wine was not forbidden in that, in that day. It was the common beverage. It couldn't have been forgive, uh, forbidden. It was the common beverage. And, and the focus, though, on slander and on wine reflects the situation in Crete at that time. But the problem was more prevalent among women in that day. Now, the ladies, positively, were to be teachers of good. Teachers of good. And this is... The idea that um, teaching good things that please God as they pass um, good advice and wisdom on in informal settings to younger ladies. Teachers of good. Their task being to instruct the young woman, women. Now, what this assumes is there was ongoing contact. They had time together. They weren't separated out. They were together with younger women uh, on an ongoing basis. And it says that they were to instruct the young women. What this means is that they, that they were to restore them to their senses. That's what instruct here means, train. Making them sound-minded. Notice that every age group is encouraged and instructed to be sound-minded. So, let's look at the younger women. Uh, verses 4 and 5. Younger women are to love their husbands, literally be husband lovers. If they have one, obviously. They may have the blessing of singleness, and so they would not... Uh, this would not qualify them at this, uh, uh, apply to them at this point. They were to love their children. They were to be children lovers, uh, obviously, if they have them. Uh, they were to be sound-minded. Again, the same as before. They were to be pure, which means to be modest, to be chaste, to be uh, appropriate and respectful. They were to be workers at home. Home workers. Now, this raises a big question because a lot of young families ask this question, can women work outside the home because some people teach that this teaches that women cannot work outside the home so what does this teach workers at home means the primary focus of the young women is in the realm of the well-being of their household in the arena 
of the home. Keeping a godly home with excellence for one's husband and children uh, would be then the young women's that are being uh, direct, uh, spoken to here, their non-negotiable responsibility before God. As long as the priority of the home is clear then, time and energy can be spent elsewhere. The Bible does not prohibit that. As long as the affairs of the home are taken care of, how it plays out practically is up to each family to decide the wisdom that God has given them. One commentator puts it this way, and I like the way they put it, and uh, says this, The point is not so much that a woman's place is in the home as that her responsibility is for the home. She may have a reasonable outside job or choose to volunteer in many other ways, but the home is a wife's special domain, and always should be her highest priority, where she is able to offer the most encouragement and support to her husband, the best place for extending hospitality to Christian friends, to unbelieving neighbors and others. So this writer says this, young Christian wives, in consultation with their husbands, must use good judgment in deciding how much time can justifiably and wisely be spent in activities outside the home, whether at a paying job or in some sort of service, some form of service. And, when you, and here's the thing. If you're struggling with this question, if you have a sincere desire to obey and honor the Lord in all things, and you go to His Word seeking His wisdom, and you go to Him in prayer, you can be sure, 100% sure, that He will give you the needed wisdom and guidance that you're looking for to make a decision that works for your family, that is Uh, in accordance with scripture but i'll say this there is nothing in scripture that specifically forbids a woman from working outside the home as long as she is fulfilling her responsibilities in the home you can see that very clearly in proverbs 31 now here's another thing we got to remember as we look at this at, at this idea is that every member of a household has responsibilities this does not exempt others in the family from working at home or in the realm of the home says nothing of division of labor it doesn't say that the wife needs to do all the work which in some homes that's kind of what happens sadly the husband is is to lead and will be held responsible for what he allows in his household what he abdicates and what he doesn't lead he'll be held responsible for and i will say that more men neglect their families for their work than women do We know that. Young women, they're also to be kind, doing good towards other people. They're to be subject to their husbands. Now, this is another hot potato, isn't it? It's like, okay, now we're dealing, just got done with workers at home, and now we got to deal with this. But the interesting thing is, our thoughts, whatever thoughts you bring to this, are in large part culturally and background driven. And we want our thoughts to be Bible-driven. And the Bible then speaks into and transforms the culture. But I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Mere Christianity. And if you've read Mere Christianity, you know that this book was written, I think he gave radio addresses in the 1940s, I believe, um, to, in Britain to, uh, to unbelievers about what it means to really follow Jesus. But in his chapter on uh, Christian marriage, here's what he says, and And I I like what he says. Um, He says, if there must be a head, why the man? Well, firstly, is there any very serious wish that it should be the woman? 
As I have said, I am not married myself. At this point in his life, he was not married yet. He got married later in life. He said, but as far as I can see, even a woman who wants to be the head of her own house does not usually admire the same state of things when she finds it going on next door. She is much more likely to say, poor Mr. X. Why he allows that appalling woman to boss him around the way she does is more than I can imagine. And then Lewis says, I do not think she is very flattered if anyone mentions the facts of her own headship. There must be something unnatural about the rule of wives over their husbands because the wives themselves are half ashamed of it and despise the husbands they rule. So says C.S. Lewis. Now we've got to remember Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, Paul in, in Ephesians, he puts the wife's submission in the context of her husband's sacrificial love. The ideal relationship involves mutual self-giving, where the husband and wife both give themselves to one another. Where submission or sacrificial love are not present, marriages suffer uh, or fall apart. I've seen it for 25 years as a pastor, and it's, it's a sad thing to watch. It's like watching a train wreck in slow-mo. And you know what's going to happen unless God brings them to their senses. Sometimes people choose not to be brought to their senses. But God's calling to wives and husbands, there are no conditions or or exceptions. Husbands are called to love their wives even if their wives don't respect them. Wives are called to respect their husbands even if their husbands don't love them. There are no exceptions or conditions to God's calling on husbands and wives. Husbands, you are called to sacrificially love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying your lives down for her. You're called to unselfishly submit even if your spouse does not do their part, wives. Even if your spouse is unworthy of the respect that God calls you to give. Now let's talk about the younger men. Of which Titus was one, 40-ish, I'm still in the same ballpark. Sound-minded are what young men are to be. A model of good works, uncorrupted in teaching, dignity, sound speech. See, young men need godly older men uh, to model their lives after, whose example is worthy to be copied. And I praise God that I have had many such men in my life. Many of the men that are in this room. I remember my dad when I was a kid when I would speak disrespectfully to my mom, when I would talk back, when I would, when I would uh, say unkind things, he would get so upset at me. Because you see, my dad didn't get to grow up with his mom, and so he, he and his parents got divorced when he was young, and of the four, they sent two kids with dad and two kids with mom, split up the kids. And he, went, he got sent with his dad and, and his uh, older sister. He was the youngest, she was the oldest. And he would tell me, and he, he would get in my face about it, and I'm so glad, but he would say, you don't know what you have. He goes, I didn't have a mom when I came home from school every day that was there for me. He goes, man, I live, I, he told me, he goes, I had a lonely childhood because of it in many ways. 
There's a lot of perspective that can be gained when you hear the stories of others that have gone through experiences that they wish others wouldn't go through. But if you think about Titus 2 and what we're looking at today, you can say with a a huge amount of confidence that Titus 2 verses 1 through 8 presents a simple, balanced, healthy picture of how Christians are to relate to one another in the church. And that a healthy church, you can make the, the inference that a healthy church will have older men mentoring younger men and older women mentoring younger women by virtue of people doing what God calls them to do. That it will be evident in the households of its members that healthy teaching taken to heart and internalized will lead to a healthy church, will lead to healthy households, and will lead to the preaching of the gospel. I want to give you some daily implications for us. Some daily implications, and the first is this. Will we live a vicious cycle or a victorious cycle? A vicious downward spiral or a victorious upward one? Titus 2 is a picture of genuine Christianity, real versus fake, normal versus abnormal. Some of us, you live in an abnormal situation and you start thinking that's normal. In the Bible, you read it and you think, oh, that's just, that's just wishful thinking. No, this is what, what God wants us to be and do in our lives. This is the ideal, but many do not experience it. Many do not live it on their part or receive it from others. Because there are a lot of older men, older women, younger women, and younger men that do not do what God has called them to do in the body of Christ. The primary question that you should be asking, though, is not why do other people not do what God has called them to do? You can pray for them, you can urge them, but God can ch- is the only one who can change their life. The question you've got to ask is, am I the person that God has called me to be? That's our question. Are you the person God calls you to be? And I'll tell you, the answer, no matter what, is to humble yourself before God either for salvation, getting right before Him initially, or in sanctification and growing in Christ. As Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And it is amazing when men humble their hearts before God and before their wives, how their wives' hearts soften towards them. God can bring the dead, the seemingly dead, back to life. I have an azalea tree in my front yard. I had one in Downey as well. I remember our house in Downey that Angela and I first had. My mom came to our house one day, and, she, and I said, Man, look at my, my azalea died. She said, Oh, no, it's not dead. Just keep watering it. It will come back. It did. One time after Easter at Voyagers, there was an, they had some azaleas up there, and a couple weeks afterwards, it's like there's a dead azalea getting thrown out in the trash. I'm like, I'm taking that one home. You go look in my front yard right now. It's blooming. God can bring the seemingly dead back to life. And God can restore respect that's been lost and love that's been lost. Who are you in God's eyes? And are you, are you trusting him to make you that person that he wants you to be and do the things he wants you to do? The second thing, the second implication is that your mindset matters. It, it's, it's all about, uh, I put it this way, ETC. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. See, God's word is like a governor. It'll help you not go too fast or too slow. 
You're going through your daily life and you're tempted to do something or say something or be something that you know you're not supposed to do or be or say or write. And God's word can be like a governor in your life. You take your thoughts captive to being obedient to Christ and you can bring your your actions and, and your life in line with the word of God. It's amazing what kind of changes God does when that process happens in our life. Every Christian is to exercise self-control in word and deed. But you know what? To apply Titus chapter 2, it takes you wanting to be that kind of person. No one goes kicking and screaming in the Titus 2 lifestyle. You've got to want that. You've got to aspire to be the person that God calls you to be. One other implication is this, that it's for the king and his kingdom. It's not just to have a good marriage. It's not just to have a good family. It's not even just to have a good ministry in, in, uh, to mentor other people. It's, it's for the king and his kingdom. Look at, at verse 5. It says that the word of God may not be reviled. Look at verse 8. That the opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. It all has an outreach emphasis. And yes, you do this and you will have a better marriage. You will have a better life. You will have a better ministry. Of course. But you will also reach people for Christ that you can't reach if you're not living like this. Do not give the opponent an opportunity to slander the faith. The purpose of godly conduct is to bring glory to God, not to stain God's reputation in the world. People want to see something redeeming about the redeemed. Godly living silences the attacks of people bent on finding something to accuse Christians of. In New Testament times, Christians were thought too lenient because the gospel freed women and children from tyranny. Our culture sees Christianity as too limiting. Because it is seen as a limit to personal growth and potential because it constrains our freedom to choose our own beliefs and our own practices. Many have bought into Immanuel Kant's ideas. He defined enlightened people as those who trust in their own power rather than the authority of another. That's the underlying assumption in our society today. The world says do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. Seems like the ultimate freedom. But it is the most tragic slavery. Christ-centered self-discipline is liberating confinement. Our will subject to His. The popular idea that each person can and should define their own moral code of right and wrong is based on the belief that there is no objective standard of truth. And we know as believers there is. It's called the Word of God. It exists independent of us and must be held to regardless of what we think or feel. Because God is God and we are not. None of us want to leave this room diff- uh, uh, the same that we came in. Unless we're done yet. Unless God's done with us. Right? We want to grow. We want to change. We want to please God. Christ's love brings the ultimate freedom to be and to do what we were meant to be and do in Christ. The love of Christ, what? Constrains us. It lovingly limits our freedom so that we might have more freedom in Christ. The love of Christ is the most liberating freedom loss of all. 
So we can show people a different kind of life lived in light of God. We can fulfill God's call in our lives so that others will see the value of knowing Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Fulfill God's call in your life so others will see the value of knowing Jesus. I want to close with telling you about a mother's rescue. It's a little bit humorous. It has to do with a duck. Actually, 11 ducks. This last Monday, Savannah and Ariana and I were on a bike ride. So- Sophia was with us for the first part, and then Angela came and picked her up because we had gone way too far for her. And we were, we were coming home, and uh, we saw two people going over six lanes of traffic trying to save a mommy duck and her ten ducklings. Looked like little tennis balls walking across the street. And as they got to where we were waiting for the red light on our bikes, I was thinking to myself, this is ridiculous, they're going to get hit. The people and the ducks. <laughs> I was actually thinking about the people. I love ducks. But God gave me, I don't know, a thought as they got to our side of the road, and I said, we'll take it from here. We'll take it from here. So the girls and I walked the, this duck and her ducklings uh, a half, about a quarter of a mile or more to, to this body of water. And uh, we were crossing over four lanes at a three-way stop, and it was very comical. I've got it on video. I was videotaping and helping at the same time. <laughs> All I can say is we got them safely across, um, and the mommy duck was on a ledge about four or five feet above the water, and she launches into the water. And the, the ten baby ducks, as we were grabbing them, as they were going up these stairs and tossing them into the water, they were doing the death dive on, in between rocks and hitting, and I got that on video too. And, and, uh, and, and we were like, Phew. God, God used us. We're heroes. <laughs> you know, we're heroes. You know, the, the, I'm thinking the newspaper's going to be taking pictures of us at that point, you know. And all of a sudden, these two ducks swoop in and grab the mommy duck by the head as they're in the water and put her head underwater and are trying to drown the mommy duck. We were, we were uh, out of our minds. We didn't, I was like, do I jump in the water, you know? <laughs> if it was one of my own, yes. But I'm thinking, duck, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, you know? And all of a sudden... We grabbed a stick and we whacked the ducks and they kind of went away. And, and they finally let her go, but they were, they were trying to kill her. Her head was underwater. Both of them had her by the top of the head and they're pushing her underwater. So they let her go and we're like, we're heroes again. Then all of a sudden, another duck flies in and starts attacking the mommy. Well, I had grabbed a little piece of wood about this big, about an inch in diameter, just for this very reason. And God, uh, let me just say this. God gave me the ability of David against Goliath. (laughs) Because I took aim, and from about 10 feet away, pegged the attacker on the side of the head, and it flew away. Praise God. Now here, that mother cared for her babies. That mother led them, protected them, provided for them. But she needed help. She needed someone to defend her. And it came in the form of me and my girls and a piece of wood and God's providential care for a duck. But moms lead and guide and protect their offspring. That's what moms do. And what they need is support and protection and help. Here's what every woman really wants. Every woman really wants to be loved, honored, and cherished in the most appropriate way. They need Jesus the King 
They need men captured by His grace. And they need other women willing to engage them in relationship. Men are called to complement their female counterparts, not rule over them harshly or disengage from them. And the question for us today is, what will we do? What will we do? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are so good to us. And Lord, we want to know, what should we do with what you've blessed us with? Lord, that question looms over us. What will we do? Will we abuse the gifts God has given? Or will we cherish them and treat them with the utmost honor and respect? And Lord, as we bring it down to a Mother's Day specific, we know it starts at home base. And we know it can start today with our moms and other women in our lives. Lord, make us willing to give ourselves unselfishly for those who live for the needs of others. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.